starts our series today are called Top 10. Uh, and Top 10, is, is, as you saw in the video there, is around from Scripture, from Exodus, uh, is around our Ten Commandments. And, and if you dig into that a little bit more, you'll know that, that the, the writers there were saying that they had ten words uh, for the people at the time. And those, those ten words in our, in our language, ten commandments. And, and can I say... Uh, those Ten Commandments are, are about to help us, to inspire us, to empower us, to live life today in a world that, uh, that we live in. And so can I encourage you for the next 10 weeks, uh, we're starting from number 10 and working up to number one of the commandments. So please don't miss a week because I know this is going to be incredibly empowering for your life uh, and mine. So can we please put our hands together for Pastor Kalen as he comes. Check one. Awesome. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you guys this morning to share around God's word. How incredible was Fiona just then? Where is she? She's in here. Um, oh, well, I just want to um, affirm Fiona and, and just her gift uh, of her voice. Um, I see, even as you were just singing then, I just saw shackles falling off and things breaking. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, just in that confidence and the, thing that, the gift that God's given you, um, and just be encouraged in that, that this is where God's calling you to, so that's awesome. Uh, but who's ready for God's Word this morning? Awesome. As Pastor Daryl said, it is Pentecost Sunday, and you were the lucky few that hung around during the long weekend, and so I consider you guys the 120 that were in that upper room this morning, um, because we are expectant and we're hopeful in what God wants to teach us through uh, His commandments, the commandments that He's given us for, as, as guidelines for our living. But uh, before, we, before we get into the Word this morning, why don't we pray? Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, one name holds victory, one name, one word. Uh, Father, one word from you changes everything. One word from you shuts the lies and the deception of the enemy, Lord. And we just hope in that one name, the name of Jesus. We thank you for that name, and we thank you that it's by that name that all men can be saved. And Lord, we thank you for the hope that is in him, in, in Jesus' name. And so, Father, this morning as we open up your word, as we begin to study through this topic, Lord God, I pray that our, our hearts would be open and our minds would be ready to receive and hear from heaven this morning. And so we pray that all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to let you guys know one of the strangest experiences of my life. One of the most strangest experiences for me happened in a place called Huntley. Come on, because that's, that's where every good story happens, all right? Um, I was in Huntley. That's where I was born and bred and, you know, did that life and then moved to Auckland. Um, so actually, I'm an Aucklander, but if you consider yourself a Waikato person, then I'm from the Waikato as well. Um, but I remember one of the strangest experiences happened there. Uh, there was a guy sitting outside the library, and I was walking past him. I was zealous for the Lord, just got saved not so long before that. And he came up to me, he approached me, and he goes, would you read to me from the Bible? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. This is my Christian duty. This is God, what you called me to right now. And so I was like, I'll come with you. I'll read you the Bible. So we went into the library. We went to the furthest part of the library in the back corner as I proceeded to open the Word of God. Now, this book, I know much, I, I've read over it every now and then, and I'd known the title, and I was a little bit familiar with it. But as I began to dive into that book, what I realized was there was something peculiar about this book. In fact, what I was reading to him that morning 
was the song of Solomon. It was the song of songs. And if you don't know what that is, it's the PG-13 part of the Bible where it talks about a woman's ankles being like goblets and um, trunks and tree trunks and all weird mysteries in that book. But it was something that I'd often looked at but had no understanding about. In fact, the funniest part of that experience was that he ended up saying, I felt God say to pay for your time. So he gave me money after that. And I was like, all right, never again, Lord. I will ask of you first before jumping in zealously into things. But isn't it so true that we can often see and hear things time and time again, but often don't truly understand what it means? You know, we're beginning a new series this morning titled The Ten. We're looking at God's Ten Commandments that He's given, uh, something that we so often see and hear time and time again, but we often don't truly understand. It's not until we unpack it that we realize God's guidelines for living is in it. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would understand how the Ten impacts us both in our relationship with others and with God. See, my hope by the end of this series is that you would understand that God's heart and God's love for us as His children can be seen through the Ten Commandments. But before we jump into it this morning, I want to uh, give us or set for us the context in which we find it in the book of Exodus chapter 20. And so this is what happens. God uh, leads his people out of Egypt, out of captivity and slavery to the Egyptians. Uh, he gives them over to Moses, who now is entrusted to lead this three million of people up into the promised land, a land that they'd never been before. But what you've got to understand about the significance of this is that these people have been in slavery for 430 years. These people have never been a part of society. They've never been a part of a community. They have no structured way of knowing how to live or how to effectively be within community. And then God uh, does something. In his great wisdom and in his grace, he invites Moses to ascend Mount Sinai and meet with him. It's in this moment that God gives and delivers to Moses the tablets upon which we find the ten. And, you know, for these, for these Israelites, they've spent every waking hour in Egypt under the hand of a slave driver. And for them, the whip was their rule and their law. And, in fact, to rebel against it meant certain death. But God, again, invites Moses up Mount Sinai to receive these ten commandments by which the people are to live. And so this morning we find ourselves counting down from 10 and counting up to 1 or down to 1, whatever you uh, prefer to think of it as. And we're going to begin with this commandment, do not covet. Let's open up our, our Bible or you can follow along on the screen on Exodus chapter 20 verse 17. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anyone struggled recently with uh, coveting after your neighbor's donkey? Now, I don't know if that happens in Manurewa, but I know there's a lot of farm around here, so that might be true uh, in Pukekohe that there, you covet your uh, neighbor's donkey. But see, if we, if we don't seek to first understand this command, then that's all we'll get out of it. That's all we'll see through the scripture. But we need to first start by defining what the Bible means by covet. Friend, to covet means this. To covet means to desire after or lust after. In fact, it's not the wanting of things that is wrong. It's wanting things at the expense of others. In fact, what's um, clear to me is, is wanting from a place and motive of jealousy or envy. See, although we might not relate to the coveting of an ox or a donkey, I bet every single one of us this morning can relate to wanting things out of jealousy and envy, wanting things at the expense of others. See, what the scripture here is trying to convey to us is not so much the belongings within that house. In fact, what it's trying to convey to us is the word household. You shall not covet your neighbor's household. 
For it's in the household that you find their livelihood, their lifestyle, the wife, the spouse, the kids, the car, the wealth, the donkeys, the servants, and their belongings. See, friend, this morning I want to ask you, have you ever found yourself jealous or even envious of someone's livelihood? Have you ever asked yourself or said, said this type of thing to yourself? If only my wife was like that person's wife. If only my husband looked as good as that person's husband. If only my kids were as well-behaved and well-mannered at the table as that family's kids. How about this? Have you ever found yourself saying this? It should be me in his position. It should be me that was given the promotion. They don't deserve it. Maybe you went even further and actually started standing on a couple of toes and climbing the ladder of success, uh, irregardless of that person's promotion, and you tried to make your way above them or beyond them. See, how about this? How about that person? That person doesn't deserve that happiness. I deserve that happiness. And so you go and you mix in the crowds and you start to sow discord by gossiping them out of their happiness. Listen, it's not wrong to desire family. It's not wrong to desire a promotion or have a car or want nice things. But what is wrong is this. What is wrong is to want someone else's family, to want someone else's job or want someone else's car or someone else's happiness. See, it's seemingly harmless on the surface, but dangerous at the root. Why? Because the root of the problem is covetousness. And let me tell you about coveting. Coveting is a seed and a doorway which leads into every other sin. What do I mean by that? Adultery never happened just because I wanted to commit adultery. No, adultery happens, why? Because of a, an issue or a desire to covet someone else's spouse. Lying or murdering didn't happen just because I thought of lying and murdering. No, lying and murdering happens because of a seed of coveting, coveting someone's belongings. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says to covet is to make an idol out of the thing which you're coveting. Why? Because it ascribes power, worth, and weight to that thing. It's to make an idol out of it. And it's within the origin of the word covet actually begins within the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, it says this. And when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You know that word desired there, that word desire is the same word in the Hebrew as covet. She desired what was not hers. She coveted what was not hers. You remember the story, Jesus. God said, eat of any fruit of the tree except for that one. She coveted what didn't belong to her. In fact, she coveted what belonged to God. See, I think what we begin to discover about coveting is that uh, here is this tension of the reality of what we have versus a reality of what we don't have. Because the battle this morning isn't a battle of just coveting. What this commandment is really about is a battle of covetousness versus contentment. That's the title this morning, covetousness versus contentment contentment. So you've got to know that unless we can find contentment in what we have and in who, in confidence in who we are, we will always wrestle and battle with this word called coveting. And you've got to understand that society does, plays a huge role in this. Society feeds a culture of discontentment. We all know a celebrity or we know celebrities who uh, didn't think they were enough, so they went and uh, changed their appearance, even though young, millions of young people aspired to look and act like them. We know what it's like to look at social media and feel like we don't measure up, our life doesn't measure up because of the person's story that they're posting of the amazing highlights within their life. So the society feeds into this culture of discontentment. See, covetousness, friend, is a drug that leaves you feeling empty and always wanting more. 
But you've got to understand this this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Coveting will kill your contentment, but contentment will always control your desire to covet. Let me say that again. Coveting will kill your contentment, but contentment will control your desires to covet. Let, me, let us look at a person in the Bible called Solomon. Solomon's an incredible guy who was known for asking God for wisdom. And he writes this incredibly beautiful yet sorrowful book called Ecclesiastes, another one of those books that we don't often read. Um, and within Ecclesiastes, what we learn about King Solomon is that he acquires, he acquires riches upon riches. He acquires wealth upon wealth. The Bible says that he acquires every pleasure under the sun. Yeah. Yet, at the conclusion of the book, what he writes is that it's all like chasing after the wind. You know what that means? He means what he means is it's all a meaningless act. What he was left feeling was unsatisfied, discontent with what he had. He was fighting for contentment. And see, church, for, in order for us to grow in contentment, uh, I want us to look at another character in the Bible, another person in the Bible, one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. See, in my mind, I'm thinking, if anyone had the right to desire something, if anyone had the right to covet, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he writes two-thirds of the New Testament, we know that. He uh, spreads the gospel into nations that had never been before. He's persecuted for his faith. He's uh, tried and tested. He's uh, stoned and beaten. I won't go into stone because Manudewa has a different definition of that. Um, but, you know, he's beaten and disfigured in his approach to spreading the gospel. If anyone was, had the ability or had the right to covet, to me it would have been him. But he doesn't. In fact, he writes this, and you can follow along on the screen. It says this in Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, Christ Jesus, who gives me strength. Friends, we need to begin to find contentment in what we have and be confident in who God's called us to be. How do we cultivate contentment in our lifestyle this morning? Firstly, you've got to understand, in order for us to uh, cultivate contentment, we've got to begin with the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Um, I had the privilege just a couple of years ago uh, to lead our youth out in Manurewa. I was the youth pastor. Some things happened within our youth group that left us really unhealthy, um, and we were all operating out of brokenness and hurt, and then God said, I choose you. Uh, he pointed at me, and then I was like, okay, God, and then he made me lead us out of that season. But I remember a moment uh, when I asked one of our senior leaders, I go, would you be able to pray for this junior leader? God was doing a great work of restoration within our youth group at that time, and she said to me, no. And I was like, hmm. All right, Lord, the Lord will sort you out. But um, she said no. She said no to me, and she goes, no, I don't know how I feel about them. I don't trust them. She said this. She goes, my heart's not right. And I said to her, the Lord dropped this in my spirit, and I said to her, well, isn't it a privilege that we don't just get to minister out of our heart, we get to minister out of the heart of God? See, church, I want to encourage you. The heart is important to God. The heart is actually mentioned 826 times within the Bible. And my logic says that if God includes it more than once, then it must be important. We need to listen and incline our ear to it. In fact, Jesus, speaking of the Ten Commandments, stresses the importance of the heart in the issue. Jesus himself stresses the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Church, I want to encourage us this morning, guard your heart from envy, 
Guard your heart from jealousy. How do we do that? We fill it with gratitude and praise. We fill it with love and peace. We live, we fill it with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We fill it with all the right things because out of it flows the issues of life. Let me ask you this morning, when was the last time you sought God on that, God's heart on a matter? Is your heart full of life or is your heart full of death? Are you life-giving in all and choose life in all that you do? See, I, my prayer this morning is that we'd choose to move in, uh, in positive opposition to negative di- decisions. Let me say that again. To move in positive opposition to negative decisions. What do I mean? I mean, how about instead of us going around chatting about that person who was promoted or got that workplace in our workplace sewing discord, how about we change the narrative and choose to speak in the opposite direction? How about we choose to start with prayer? God, thank you for that person. Thank you for the blessings that you've put in their life, placed in their life. How about instead of murmuring and, and, and sitting in despair, we start to choose life and we start to choose to speak life. How about instead of holding someone in our hearts with envy and jealousy, we move in the opposite direction and speak blessing and release that person. It's a matter of the heart. The second thing this morning, in order for us to uh, build contentment in our life, is we need to understand that it's a matter of trust. Matthew 6, verse 23, 25 to 34 says this, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Jesus continues by saying this, Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your bodies require? He says, So above all, Above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all these less important things will be given to you in abundance. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. So I'm here to remind us this morning that we serve a God who's faithful. We serve a God who's known as Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and therefore provides. I'm here to remind us this morning that we can trust God. God's a sure thing. I'm here to remind you this morning that God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and He knows every intimate detail in the, in the middle. You know, I'm here to remind you that God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. God is interested in the intimate details of our life. God, we, in God we trust. In Him, we can have confident hope. Trust God for your provision. Church, let me encourage you, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. Come on, somebody. God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever, ever ask, thought, dreamt, or even imagined. See, I can tell you and recall to you countless times where God's provided within my life what I needed. Let me just put a full stop there and say what I needed, not what I wanted. Because you've got to understand and realize today that God's provision is a matter of need, not a matter of want. God will provide you what you need. It's a matter of trust. My final thought this morning to cultivating contentment within our life is this, is it's a matter of abiding. It's a matter of abiding. John 15 verse 1 to 8 says this, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He continues in saying this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me, abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, get this, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be filled. True and fulfilling, lasting contentment only comes by abiding, friend, in Jesus. True and lasting contentment only comes by abiding in him. When we abide in him, we are joined to the one stronger than ourselves. Our nourishment, our fulfillment comes through the vine. And when he produ- and then he produces the fruit. Abiding in him means this, that we are dependent on his strength in our lives, his wisdom in our lives, his counsel in our lives, his affection and attention in our lives. Abiding in him means this, that we're continually in connection with Jesus. Abiding in him means that we go straight to him for a word of correction, straight to him for a word of encouragement, straight to him for a word of life. And abiding in him is the understanding that he is our very life source, that on him we are truly dependent. When we abide in him, he gives us what we need. He sustains our very lives. How do we settle discontentment? By knowing that true contentment isn't determined by the presence of things, but by the presence of Almighty God. Let me say that again. True contentment isn't determined by the presence of things in your life, but by the presence of God in your life. Psalm 107 verse 9, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's a matter of abiding. How do we cultivate contentment within our life? Understand that it's a matter of the heart, it's a matter of trust, and it's a matter of abiding. See, what the 10th commandment teaches us this morning is that this is a battle of covetousness versus contentment. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Um, I felt to pray for two groups. Firstly, I wanted to pray for a group, and uh, as I was speaking about envy and jealousy of others, um, I felt the Lord say that there's some people in here who you're holding envy and jealousy towards another person, and it's poisoning your soul. It's wrecking you. And um, I'd love to pray for you with no one looking around. And if that's you, you can just raise your hand, and I'd love to include you in this prayer. Firstly, uh, to ask God to show up in that situation, but also to release those people. Um, So if that's you, would you mind just lifting your hand? Awesome. God bless you. Awesome. Hey, let me pray for you. Um, Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the one that provides. Um, Lord, this morning... That's our prayer, God. If we're holding uh, any envy or jealousy for another, God, we release that to you and we ask for your forgiveness. God, we have no right to hold that. And so, Lord, this morning we choose, in fact, God, to bring that person before your throne of grace with confidence and boldness and ask that you bless them. Ask that you would pour out your grace, your mercy, and your love upon them. God, we release those things to you. We release that bitterness to you in the name of Jesus. So while every head bowed and every eye closed, we never like to close without giving you an opportunity to meet the one that created you, to meet the one who gives us true contentment. Friend, we never like to leave without giving you an opportunity to meet Jesus. So this morning you might have walked in here and thought, man, this guy keeps talking about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Maybe you walked in here, you know that your life's not right and you just want Jesus in your heart. Um, I want to include you in a prayer. See, the truth is this. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. You were created for life and life in abundance. You were created for relationship with God. But the reason we don't experience these things is because of this word called sin. Sin is this. Sin is to miss the mark. Sin is to do it our own way. And in fact, the Bible says that because of this sin, we're all dead in it. We were dead in our sin. But God didn't want to leave us that way. And so what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus who lived holy and blamelessly, 
Yet to the very last breath that he breathed out on the cross, he was thinking of you and I. He took upon himself the death and penalty that we deserved. And so, friend, this, and it was because of that sacrifice that we can have new life in him, a new start today. And so if that's you, all I'm going to do is I'm going to count down from three. And if you're saying, yes, I want to be included in that prayer. Yes, I want to meet Jesus today. Yes, I want to start a new life. All you have to do is just raise your hand so that I can see it, so that I know who I'm praying for. So three, God loves you. He has a purpose and a call for your life. Two, God's knocking at the door of your heart. One, friend, if that's you this morning, if you want to say yes to Jesus, would you mind just lifting your hand? Awesome. Awesome. Amen. Hey, why don't we pray this? If you're praying that prayer this morning, why don't you pray this from the bottom of your heart? But church, can we repeat this after me? Everyone say, Dear Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I choose to turn from sin and turn to you. I make you the Lord of my life and my Savior. Today is a new day, and because of you, I'm set free. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those guys? Come on. Big round of-